You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, powered by Interstate Batteries. From your truck to your trail camera, Interstate Batteries has you covered. Visit your local Interstate Battery store today or online at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras, the number one podcast for bow hunting product information and hunting stories from across the nation. And now, here's your nine-fingered host, Dan Johnson. All right, everybody, happy Friday. That means it's the weekend, and that also means that, uh, for me anyway, it's probably one of the last weekends that I'm going to be able to get out and do some shed hunting. I'm not sure how much shed hunting I'm going to be able to do, but I think I... I, I could probably narrow it down to about three hours. Anything more than that might be pushing it, but uh, I think I might be able to get out and maybe walk oh, a couple pieces that I, I've already walked before, but they're high traffic areas, so I have a feeling there's going to be some more sheds in, in this specific area. Uh, according to the last time I walked some of these cornfields, man, there was still a lot of corn in the field still a lot of uh, deer traffic out there and according to some of my buddies uh, there's still deer holding uh, a lot of deer holding i think they said 50 percent and a lot of them were you know half racks but it's getting to that time where if you missed them by now they're probably getting chewed up pretty good by the timber rats and uh, we don't like that so we got to get up get out and we got to try to find them Now, today's podcast, man, we're going to be talking with a gentleman named Brooke Martin, and Brooke is employed by Wasp, and I kind of like this podcast because Brooke was one of those guys who said, you know what, I want to work in the hunting industry, and he did it the hard way, and that was by basically going up, finding a product that he really liked and telling the company what do you need me to do what do you want me to do and i'll do it and uh sure enough that led him to the position that he is in today uh with wasp and uh you know i think there's a drake song started from the bottom now we're here and uh that's this brooks story is not only about you know working hard and you can get what you want in life but also about uh hunting public ground and uh, kind of going where people are ain't uh, where people are not. So, uh, man, we got a, a really awesome podcast today. 
Mr. Brooke Martin. And, uh, you know, we're going to talk about wasp broadheads a little bit in the actual podcast. But I tell you what, it's hard to deny a company that's made in America. That's a big plus. Um, the, The quality of the materials is as high as they can possibly get. That's awesome. And the fact that it's just a simple design and it, they freaking work, right? It's, it's a broadhead, just like a lot of broadheads out there, but when it's made in America, very high quality, simple design, and they're effective. When you add all those things up together, man, you got a broadhead that's going to be tough and, and does what it is supposed to do, designed to do. And, uh, that's uh, leave really good blood trails and uh, really short blood trails at that. So if you get the opportunity, go to wasparchery.com. And uh, if you want to save a little money, purchase some broadheads right now and enter the code nine fingers. That's the number nine followed by the word fingers. And you will receive 20% off of your purchase. That's a pretty good discount. So uh, take that into consideration right now. Other than that, let's get into today's podcast with Brooke Martin. All right, everybody, on the phone with me right now, Mr. Brooke Martin from Wasp Archery. How are you doing today, Brooke? Good, Dan. How are you? I can't complain. I went out, I found 13 sheds so far this year, and uh, that puts me ahead of my typical schedule as far as the number of sheds that I typically find in, in a year, and uh, I don't know, that makes me happy. It, because I have it a whole nother weekend of shed hunting planned. Have you found any sheds? Yes, I'm up to up to twelve this year. Bingo. Um, so far, but I, I'm excited as well to get out this weekend. I'm, I'm already making plans on where I'm going to go and and what I'm going to do. So, how many do you typically find in a year? Typically, it depends. Uh, this year is like a banner year for me. It's just stupid, but. Um, typically I find I'd say six to eight and yeah. I found one, um, just oddball, just found one in January and I set a 10 point set on some public land, um, in January, which was just dumb luck. And, you know, I just stumbled upon, I wasn't even looking for sheds yet. And so I was like, oh man, this is going to be great. And it's just been continuing in that direction. So I don't want to jinx myself, but for some reason it's been exceptionally good this year. Awesome. Yeah. I'm having that. I'm having that same feeling. Uh, I went, see two weekends ago i found nine last weekend me and my wife went and we found uh five uh and then this weekend uh, i'm heading to a a different property with a big group of people for a shed rally and uh we're going to be pounding some we're going to be pounding like a thousand acre lease it's nothing that i can hunt but it's just fun to go and and uh hang out with buddies and i think we should find some sheds there as well so looking forward to that um so before we get into this podcast and we're going to talk a little bit about the new broadhead from wasp towards the end of the podcast and kind of your position with wasp and how you got into that because i think that's a pretty cool story as well but why don't you talk to me a little bit about how your 2017 deer season went well to start off overall i've i've had probably my best season i'd ever say um overall i started uh focusing more on public land hunting this past year than I did in years prior simply because I just to me it seems that extra challenge or that extra 
uh, work that you got to put in for it sometimes is just very exciting. And that, you know, something about it just, you know, I just like, so overall it was a, it was a good season. I put on a lot of time in the summer, um, between two, me and two buddies, we ran 30 trail cameras, um, on public land down in Maryland, which Whoa. kept us busy. Yeah. 30 it, it cameras. Very busy. 30 cameras between me and two other guys. Um, and sadly it's like, you get so many photos and so many things in, in the opening day. I didn't know what to do. You know, we did, right. but, um, it, it worked out. My one buddy saw a real nice buck opening evening. Um, and then we got on some deer later in the season, but overall it was a really good year. Um, for me, I shot my first, uh, Sika deer, which are, um, free ranging in Eastern shore of Maryland. Um, first time I went down there and, and everyone tells you, you know, how nocturnal they are. And I had no idea. And honestly, you know, going down there, I was like, yeah, right. They're not that nocturnal. Well, I shot a, a small hind and which is what they call the does. And I shot her and it was like almost pitch dark and I didn't see another one the rest of the trip. So it was like, thank God I did. But I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy. But, right. So is yeah. that, is that sick of deer, um, like just a regular tag, just like a whitetail? Yes. Um, a non-resident or, or even a resident um, gets a certain amount of seek a deer tag. Uh, for me on that trip, I could shoot uh, a stag and two hinds in that archery season. And I could be wrong, but I believe you can do that in muzzler season and in gun season. So realistically, you could shoot nine um, seek a deer. Wow. That's crazy. So how big of a range do they have out there in Maryland? Or is that up and down like uh, other states than just Maryland? No, they're, I mean, they're literally put into a small area. I mean, there is a lot of public ground down there, but they're, they're limited to where you can actually hunt them. Um, uh-huh. And actually majority of the spots to hunt them is water-based. You either got to take a boat in or, or wait through the muck and get back in there. It's not very easy to hunt them just simply because it's, they live in water pretty much. Right. Is um, this a draw hunt where, you know, you have to put your name onto a list to get access to that because it's such a small, like, uh, concentration, you know, concentrated area? Or do you, th- or is it just anybody can come do it at any time? Yep. Anyone can do it at any time um, during the season. It's kind of crazy because they're really sought after for their meat. I mean, they're exceptionally good, by far better than a whitetail, in my opinion. Um, it's, it's kind of, I guess they're so hard to hunt that it turns a lot of people off. Um, I know it would be tough, you know, to, to hike back in there. Say you wanted to go in a mile and a half and you got to, you know, walk through waders and get in the mud and stuff. It, that would be difficult. So I think it turns a lot of people off. But, yeah, they're, it's, it's neat. I mean, you can hunt sea deer in high fence areas all across the country, but to hunt the free-range ones in, in that marsh is just another level. It's, it's neat. Wow. So did you have to take a boat back there or, or wade through the muck? No, I, I fortunately um, hunted with a friend of mine who had some private ground down there. Oh, okay, and gotcha. Yeah, fortunately for us, I mean, I still had to walk maybe six, 700 yards, which is nothing, but a couple of times I was up to almost my knees in water, but it wasn't as bad as what a lot of the areas are. Right, right. So do you live in Maryland? Or do you live in New York? No, I actually live in Pennsylvania. Oh, Pennsylvania. right on the Maryland border. Yeah. Gotcha, gotcha. So you hunt, do you hunt mostly then Pennsylvania and Maryland then? 
Yep. Actually, this year I'd say I hunted Maryland more, but typically I hunt PA a lot. But yeah, I'm I'm literally five miles from the Maryland border, so I'm I'm in Maryland more surprisingly. Okay. Is are, are whitetails there and over the counter tag as well? Yes, and and I guess part of the reason why Maryland's popular is they have very liberal bag limits. Like uh, you're allowed to shoot in archery season this year. You could shoot your your one buck, and then if you shot two does, you can get another buck tag. Um, and you're allowed up to six does a day in the county I was hunting. So realistically, you could shoot a lot of deer um, if you wanted to. Right. And the season comes in September 9th. It came in last year, and it runs the whole way to the end of January. So you have a lot longer season than what Pennsylvania does um, and so forth. I mean, Pennsylvania, if you're lucky, you'll get a buck tag and maybe two doe tags, and you have to apply for the doe tag. So it's kind of a tough deal versus Maryland where you just get handed a book full of tags in it, and you're good to go. Right. <laughs> Man, I, I don't know what I would do with my time if someone gave me a booklet of tags as opposed to having to go to the store and buy them individually. You know what I mean? Oh, I know. It's tempting. And that's why, like, you know, I have a lot of friends and family that say, hey, can you can you get me a deer? And it's like, yeah, no problem. It doesn't, you know, it's not taking a deer away from me because I'm not going to shoot six a day. Right. So realistically, it's, it's no big deal. Right. But. Man, that's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. But the problem, the reason why they do that is they don't have as many hunters as, you know, PA does. And Maryland's so built up that it's literally squeezed the deer out of, you know, the typical woodlots and everything to where they're living in people's backyards at this point, um, yeah. the majority of the state. So right. the western part's different. But So um, I've had some – yeah, I've had some people on the podcast before from Maryland – and some of those guys are chasing some really big bucks because uh, I guess certain part of the state where there's a lot of ag, they have uh, uh, good soil quality, which kind of translates into good quality bucks. What uh, what was the terrain like in the area that you were hunting? Uh, the area I hunt whitetails in is is mix of a little bit of ag, um, a lot of horse uh, horse farms where they just I guess they ride horses and hang out with them, but the public land areas mix up of mostly poplar trees. Um, you don't see a lot of oak flats in Maryland, at least where I'm at. Um, so it's a little different, but if you can, if you can get into certain areas where there is ag fields and it's a no brainer, especially in that early season when you can pattern a deer. Right. Um, and there's some big deer, you know, I, I mentioned earlier, me and two buddies ran three trail cameras we had two that I would say comfortably would go over 160 in public. Um, oh, nice. Which, for the eastern part of the United States, that's huge. You know, that's unheard of. But, yeah. um, you know, we were very excited. Now, granted, those deer outsmarted us, and we never seen them, and they're gone. <laughs> Who knows where they are? But um, we did have them on camera, at least. So. Yeah, absolutely. Um, now, did you hunt any in PA as well? I did. I only hunted uh, three days in PA. Um, one of those days, I, I took a youth out for his first hunt and, and got him his first deer. So that was a lot of fun. Gotcha. Um, but I, I only, like I said, I only hunted three days in PA. So a majority of your time was spent in Maryland, and it sound, you know, I don't blame you. It sounds like uh, not only do you get as many tags as you really want, but you can, you know, you also can get it. Um, you know, two buck tags if you uh, killed uh, the right amount of does. But um, 
are do you mostly gun hunt or bow hunt? No, I'm a bow hunter. Right. Okay. Um, this year, you know, I so I ended up with seven deer this year. Two of them I shot with a gun, which is rare for me. I haven't shot a deer with a gun in probably five or six years. But um, I did take advantage of the slug gun season in Maryland, shot a doe on public ground, and then that day I took a youth out. He got one, and then there was another one that stepped out pretty far off that I was able to get. But, no, typically I'm a bow hunter. Gotcha. So of the deer, how many deer with a bow did you kill, and how many deer with a gun did you kill this year? Five, five with the bow and two with the gun. Gotcha. Okay. So, so you shot a lot of deer this year compared to most people, you know, um, I know people who, uh, kill more. Me this year was a good year. I killed two and I got a ton of meat that we eat on almost every night. So do you, do you keep all that meat or do you hand it out to people? I hand out some, um, but I do, I kept three deer for myself and the rest I, Gave to friends. Actually, I kept four because the secret deer, but the secret deer are small. So yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, and, and typically I, you know, I have a, a past coworker that I work with that doesn't get out as much, and he loves deer meat. So you know, a part of what I do, a lot of people just give it to a processor and let them deal with it. I like to take part in, in you know, cutting it up, deboning it, you know, packaging and everything else. So a lot of times when I'm giving it away, it's already done up and ready to cook. But that's just part of it. I enjoy that aspect of it. So. To me, if, if I'm going to shoot, I'm going to take responsibility to, to make sure it gets taken care of and, you know, still do that because I think we need to respect the animal at the end of the day. But, yeah, absolutely. I tell you what, I this year was the first year that I took both deer to the processor and let them do it, do it because I just didn't have enough time because typically, you know, you kill a deer, you let it hang a day or depending on the temperature, you know, like, so this year, um, I was busy. So I took two deer in and obviously you're spending, uh, way more money. Like I think I spent somewhere between 250 and $300 in processing fees, but I got sticks and I got sausage and, or, uh, bologna and I got ground, they ground the deer meat and they mix some beef with it so it would cut the quote-unquote gamey taste that my wife doesn't like. Uh, we got roast and steaks and chops and all that stuff, which, you know, you're putting an entire day, maybe even two days into processing that if you do it yourself. So I decided this year to spend that, a little extra money and go with uh, go with the processor. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Um, there's definitely some good processors in our area. And, you know, obviously I, I don't make the, the bologna or the, the sausage and stuff like that. So I'm very eager when buddies get a, a good recipe or get it made somewhere to, to try theirs. But no, I, I agree. You know, there's nothing wrong with that either, you know, going that route, but all right, man, it does take a lot of time. So especially when it's warm, I ran into an issue with the buck I shot this year. It was 86 degrees. Holy and cow. Yeah, and I was scrambling, but fortunately I have a buddy that lives about 50 minutes away that has a big walk-in cooler, and and I called him, and he said, yeah, bring it over. So I let it hang for a day and then and then cut it up in his cooler, but it was warm. Yeah, yeah, I've been there before. Um, so I want to kind of backtrack a little bit and talk about this. You know, you live five miles from the border of Maryland. Everybody already knows that, Pennsylvania is a high pressure hunting state, right? Millions of hunters in Pennsylvania and, uh, 
you know, you run into people all the time, especially if you're hunting uh, public ground. Now, you cross this border, does the pressure go away or is it reduced when you cross that border and go into Maryland? I wish I could say it was, but it's not. And actually, I hate to admit this, but you're seeing a lot more Pennsylvania tags on Maryland public ground than you are in Maryland, I think, in most areas. Um, so the pressure is not really reduced um, in any way, but you can still get, you know, if you walk a mile and a half, two miles back, you're still beating out the average hunter to an area that they're not hunting, um, at least not on a daily basis. So, you know, I it's, it's tough for me to say, but I'd say overall, because we are so close to, you know, Maryland, I think that many more Pennsylvania hunters take advantage of Maryland and, and use that as well. So the pressure I see is, is still pretty strong. Gotcha. So when you're going, and you, you kind of said that, yes, you have hunted some private ground, but a majority of your time is spent on public. Um, is, is, is this something that you have changed recently? Like you, you've decided, Hey, I want to, I want to be a public land hunter as opposed to a private land hunter, or is it just kind of how the chips fell? A little bit of both. Um, you know, I'm fortunate, like in PA, I have several really good, um, private land spots that I've just, you know, shook people's hands and, and done what they've asked in the past. And, you know, I've got access to those properties, but the problem I see is Pennsylvania is hunted hard. And even with the three point restriction, I mean, the neighboring properties are shooting first legal buck they see. Um, now granted, I, I could easily go there and shoot deer and shoot a legal deer, but I'm after something a little bit better um, than the average. So typically that's, that's probably why I don't hunt PA as much, but in Maryland, I, I would not be opposed to hunting, uh, private ground. The problem is it's so tough to get. Um, I do, I spent a lot of time, people think I'm nuts, but spent a lot of time in the summers, you know, knocking on doors. I'm up to 108 doors now and I've gotten permission on four properties and I only ended up being able to hunt three, um, this season off in one, but they were, at mo- the biggest property was 12 acres um, in Maryland. So it, it's it's a whole other ball game of gaining private property. I feel, you know, anywhere in you know, the United States now, but it's even worse, you know, especially where there's areas like Pennsylvania and Maryland where there is a lot more pressure now. Right. Um, it, it's tough. And a lot of these people I'm knocking on their doors, they don't understand hunting. They don't get it. I mean, I've been told before that, you know, I can't hunt their deer, their family, they feed them, you know, and I, I get it. There's, they, they don't look at it the same way as you and I do. Um, but then, you know, you, you might get lucky once in a great while knocking on the door and they, they hate the deer and want you to shoot the deer and hunt the deer. And the one property I did get permission on, it was a six acre piece. The guy said that he'll let me hunt there year after year, as long as I shoot as many deer as I see. Well, the problem is it's six acres, you know, you can burn yeah. that out really quick. Right. Right. But it's kind of a, a different aspect, but you know, there was something about the public land, you know, finding big deer on public land and going after them that I'm just excited about. It's something about it excites me. And, and I'm always looking at, you know, aerial maps and, you know, walking way back into a spot and checking it out. And, and a couple of times, like the, the one deer I shot um, in public in the slug gun season, I was over two and a half miles back. And of course, forgot my drag rope and, you know, didn't have anything prepared. And needless to say, three and a half hours later, I got out, but I was well spent um, at that point. But 
I don't know. Something about that public land challenge is just exciting to me. I mean, anyone is out there hunting them deer, um, and those deer see more pressure than I feel any private spots typically do. So just that extra aspect of that, I just enjoy that. Yeah, makes sense, man. I can see how, you know, people who have been successful, you know, on private ground, you know, I I haven't reached that point yet in my life where I've been successful so many years that I I need to, you know, jump and make things harder for myself. I'm not to that point in my life yet, but I can definitely see how, you know, if you find success for a certain number of years in a row and all of a sudden you feel, you know what, I want to do something a little bit more challenging. I can see how people would go to public ground or maybe switch to a trad bow or, you know, only hunt from the ground or, you know, go visit different States. I, I can see how that would be, uh, you know, uh, I guess, uh, people would look forward to doing that. Yeah. And it's, it's not like a, an ego thing. I think it's just a thing personal for each people. I know I have several close friends that hunt with a, a trad bow and they're all about it. And they're like trying to talk me into it. And, you know, maybe one year I'll convince myself to trying it, but you know, to them, it's not about, Oh, I shot a deer with a trad bow. It's, I wanted something more, you know? And, yeah. and you know, we all hunt for different reasons. I mean, at the end of the day, we like to fill our freezers, but at the end of the day, we still get enjoyment out of certain things more than others. So it makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So then on this, you know, I always kind of like to ask guys who hunt public ground, you know, especially like you said, it, it sounds like uh, you were dealing with some pressure uh, as well, and you connected on multiple deer this year. Uh, was there a, uh, a strategy that you kind of used or you had thought in your head, you know, at the beginning of the season, like I'm going to, I'm going to approach this property this way to try to get the good results or is it just kind of luck? Talk to me a little bit how you approached public land. You know, it's, it's tough. So at the beginning of the season, you know, with running all these trail cameras, we find, you know, obviously the bigger deer, we try to figure out how we can go in and, and hunt them. Um, but with that being said, I, I like to put my, my odds in the best hand that I can, you know? So if I have a big deer that's been showing up the last couple of weeks on trail camera, or he's been there pretty steady, well then it makes sense to go hunt him, but you never know what you're going to get into. You know, those two big ones I was telling you about that would probably gross well over 160. Um, both of those deer disappeared in August. So, you know, at first it was kind of like, okay, where they did. So I started, you know, scrambling, moving cameras and they just, they were, they were gone. They weren't there. And I think what it was is people were starting to get ready for the season and, and the pressure hit. Yeah. Um, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't like, you know, just me going back in there every weekend and checking a camera. It was, you know, everyone and their brother now, you know, checking cameras. And at that point, I think those deer just, will not tolerate that pressure, especially in that age class. And they just, you know, bug out, but, um, it's tough. I, I guess I change all the time. Um, what I'm going to do. So if I hunt in an area once or twice, I see a good deer. Well, then I'll try to focus on that deer, um, until something happens. Actually the buck I shot, I, I had hunted three or four times before that in that, in that spot. And I seen bucks every time, but it wasn't, you know, nothing of the age class I was after. And, and actually, I started running the people. Um, at the end of September, I started running other people. And I was like, great, this is this ain't going to be good. You know, people yeah. are coming back in here. 
you know, and that spot wasn't that far of a walk. I'd say about three quarters of a mile. So, you know, there was other people hunting it. And then the weekend before I shot my deer, um, I, I pulled a camera. I went to go pull a camera that I had left on a trail in there and it was stolen. So it's like, all right, someone, someone's right here in my, in my area where I thought I was at. But, you know, instead of just, you know, calling it quits for that, I went back further and, and found a hollow that I thought, um, would be good. And I ended up seeing five bucks and, and two does. And I shot a doe that night and the five bucks I seen were just sparring and, and doing all crazy stuff. So I was like, I could not wait to get back in there, uh, the following weekend. And, and, and you know, I think, think to my approach for that area, going back in blind the first time that seeing those deer from a distance, I realized that I didn't bump them and that if I got in and got a little bit closer the following time, um, I might be able to get a better opportunity. And it, it worked out the deer I was after in that area. Um, I ended up, it was, it was kind of funny, it, a lot of dumb luck in this hunt because I was hunting there with my brother-in-law who he's kind of a, a newbie, um, a novice bow hunter. He shot a couple of does, hasn't shot a buck yet. And part of my season was trying to get him a deer, a buck. And we went back in there that night. And I told him, I said, hey, you know, I've seen a couple of bucks here the weekend before. I can get you right in here. If they come right through, you'll be able to shoot them. So we're taking climbers back in, and he climbs up a tree, and I climb up one beside him, which appeared to be very alive. And I'm, I'm like 15 feet up and the whole tree swaying. And he's looking at me like, what are you doing? I'm like, this tree's dead. So I was like, this, this isn't going to work, you know? And, and I said, cause I wanted to film him shoot a deer. Cause I figured those bucks were in there, you know, a couple bucks in there. We could easily get one to walk back through their odds were pretty good. And it was, it was comical. So I went 30 yards downwind of them, you know, further. So if the deer came in they would, you know, he'd be able to shoot him before, they would ever smell me um so i was away from him so i went 30 yards away and i climbed up a tree and i jokingly texted him and said good thing i'm not hunting tonight there's nothing i can shoot and there was so much you know cover around me that i couldn't there was there was no way i, could, I thought i could get an arrow anywhere and so it was hot it was 86 degrees and we're sitting there and he's you know facing the other way and i'm just sitting here and you know, i think we seen a small doe walk by and it was it was just hot just really warm for october and I, I, I felt like I was obligated to create some action for him because I told him how great this spot was. And then here I am and it's hot and, you know, it's, it doesn't look like it's going to pan out for the evening. And it was, it was comical. He'll, he'll, he'll tell you that he'll tell you a different side of the story, but I, I grunted um, late in the evening, which is something I never do early October. And honestly, I don't, it was, this was the dumb luck part. I grunted, twice and then i heard a deer running like up on the ridge above me and i thought that's kind of odd well it got to right before last shooting light it was way past camera light and i heard footsteps and my brother-in-law had already the deer walked by him and he didn't have his binos with him he thought it was a doe and he's like yeah it's, it's hot i'm not shooting so he didn't even like get excited didn't even look didn't even worry about the deer just let it walk right on by and i heard the deer and threw my binos up and could see it was the one buck in there I was after the, the nine point that I was after in there. And I, I couldn't figure out how it walked just by him, but you know, he, he didn't think it was a buck and obviously it was, but it walked out and it walked right under my tree. It was like a 10 yard shot and it worked out. I mean, he took two bounds and was done, but it was stupid, dumb luck. And my brother-in-law yelled, he yelled after I shot, you just shot a doe. Cause he, he was like, you know, it's hot. Why'd you shoot a doe back here? 
And I text him, I said, I just shot a buck. He's like, no, you didn't. He's like, that was a doe. I'm like, no, it's a buck. <laughs> Long story short, it, 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 it was dumb luck how it happened. But Hey, man, it, it I, kind will, of a neat, I will uh, take luck any day of the week. Yeah. No, I'm right there with you. It was kind of, though, I was kind of, I felt guilty that I shot that deer because I took him in there to shoot a deer, and it, it came right, right. like, it would have been perfect for him to shoot it, but I don't know for whatever reason he didn't think it was a buck or didn't see the antlers or or whatever. But um, we got a good kick out of it. But lesson was, learned uh, for I him, felt right? Guilty for a little while. Yeah, for sure. And you know, he said he watched me draw back and everything, and almost yelled, "It's just a doe." And thankfully, he didn't because I would have been like <laughs> very upset, you know? Right. But it was it was a great great you know a great hunt so overall we had a lot of fun over it. And he you know i he i kept telling him how bad i felt that i shot you know the deer took him in there to hunt and everything he's like look I, if you wouldn't have shot that deer told me it was that when i've been upset so it worked out but yeah absolutely so then um i mean when you hunt this public ground you know people are coming in and out all the time do you ever run into other hunters or um, have had to tear down and set up or, or move because of uh, other hunters? Yeah, I have. Um, typically, it's them walking into me. I mean, I have walked in a couple areas where I walk in and get ready to climb a tree and a guy's whistling at me and, you know, you look around and find him and move off. But um, typically, they it's kind of weird. They, they, they come by, they, they'll actually say hey to you. They, they're not concerned about it. And they'll just keep on going. I had a guy, a decoy set up, and I was hunting on the on the ground with a ghillie suit. And it was like breaking daylight, and I had been set up well over 40 minutes or so. And this guy walks by, and he's looking at my decoys. I'm like, oh, great, he's going to shoot my decoys. And so finally I, like, stood up and waved down, and he walked over. He wanted to have a conversation. It was breaking daylight, and he stood there and talked <laughs> to me 30 minutes. It's like, like I hated to be like – Buddy. Hey, can you leave? But at the same time, it's like I didn't get up two and a half hours ago and drive an hour, you know, just to sit here and talk to you. But it, it was probably I bumped into him a couple other times since then. But uh, it's a trip. Yeah. But yeah, you run into a lot of hunters, and actually, some of the areas I hunt is open. Like there's like hiking trails and stuff, so you run into a lot of those people. Um, the problem is they don't like to socialize with hunters a lot of them don't you know i'll say good morning or hi or stuff like that and they're like you know they're weird and i've even had people ask me, you're not going to shoot me are you it's like do you look like a deer <laughs> like no like, you know, it, 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 it's it's comical I've, i could write a book probably on just experiences of meeting other people down there but right right it's something so I mean, it sounds like you had a great season. I think now what we need to do is kind of yeah. transition into wasp. Okay, so why don't you tell yeah. everybody your story? I think you have a kind of a cool story that you worked, you kind of helped. I don't know, you interned or worked for them for a little bit before you got hired on full time. Why don't you share that story? Yeah, so I guess I'll back up to before the basics. Uh, wasp is kind of a um, just by a, a small family. Um, and before I even knew anything about wasp brides, I read up on them and found out, you know, a lot of people said good things about them and I wanted to know more. So, uh, there's a great American outdoor show seven years ago. It was the first year they were there and 
they had a booth set up and I was just a young high school kid that wanted to, to know more. Um, I was just eager to learn. So I went up to the booth and, you know, I asked him, why should I shoot watch broadheads? And, you know, I, I got to talking to the guys and, and more and more. And obviously, you know, I, I felt that there was a lot of things that they said that I agreed upon and my research had proven the same thing. And so I, you know, I was just very eager. I kept asking all kinds of questions. And the one guy, Fred, who I'm, I think you did a podcast with before. Oh, yeah, I know Fred. Um, he, yeah, he's a good guy. He he was like, man, this kid keeps asking questions. Like, he was just surprised that a high school kid was, you know, asking all these questions and, you know, taking an interest. And it wasn't like I was, you know, a lot, a lot of kids nowadays or, you know, even people older that are asking for pro staff and stuff like that. I wasn't yeah. asking. I just wanted to know more about the broadheads. Um so he's like, hey, let me get your information. So I didn't think anything of it. And, you know, I gave him my information, bought a pack of broadheads. And like two weeks later, I get a thing in the mail about being on the pro staff. And I was like, I was like, I felt like I hit the lottery at that point. You know, I didn't know because <laughs> I didn't I didn't ask you about it. And, you know, I never thought I would ever be able to be on a pro staff for someone. You know, back then it was something very sought after and not many were on. And so it just started out, I, you know, I joined that and I kept on asking to do more. Um, hey, can I do this show with you? Can I help out in any ways or anything I can do? And, and so eventually they started having me do uh, shows with them, um, like the Great American Outdoor Show. And then Lancaster Archery, which is in about two hours for me, um, has a big show as well. And I started doing these shows every year and it, it was kind of funny. The more I did them, the more I liked it, and the more I got into it. And so it, it just became a really good friendship um, overall. And, you know, they treated me really great. I can't say enough about them. So it kind of worked out that they kept telling me, Hey, you know, what are your future, future plans? You know, what are you thinking to do? And, and really at that point in my life, I had no idea, but I, you know, started thinking, well, man, I think I would like to, you know, work in this industry and, and, and be a sales rep. So, um, you know, I told them that and they said, well, you need to, you know, focus on getting a degree and stuff like that. So I went ahead and went to college and got a marketing degree and graduated and they hired me in July. So it's kind of a, a neat transition to sum it up. But, um, yeah, I was just a, a guy, that, a stranger, some young punk kid that wanted to know more about their broadheads and it just worked out over the years. So what is your title there now? I'm the sales coordinator. So I... I'm, I'm technically a sales rep, technically social media, technically manage some of the reps. Kind of, kind of got a, you know, it's a small company, so you pitch in where it's needed right. um, across the board. But I cover a bunch of different aspects. Um, the pro staff now I cover um, as well, and some other things. So it's sales coordinator just sums it all up, I guess. Yeah. All right. So you're kind of a jack of all trades. You do just a little bit of everything. I guess so, yeah. Yeah. And I tell you what, that's kind of cool. And the reason I like that is it kind of everybody wants to work in the hunting industry. You know, it's like, hey, I want a job in the hunting industry. I want a job in the hunting industry. This is a perfect example of of someone who is sitting there and goes up, finds interest in, you know, takes interest in a company and works their way up and puts in time and i'm sure you weren't getting paid all the time for all the help that you were providing them um and you just kind of worked your way up to the spot you're you know you are now and 
just so you know, a perfect example, I guess, of what I'm trying to say is hard work pays off. Yep. Nope. You're exactly right. Cool. You know, I think too many people nowadays do something in regards of expecting something in return. And yeah. I think that's the wrong attitude to go into anything. Um, especially if you want to get in this industry, the more you do that, you don't get anything back. It's going to pay off in the long run. Um, for sure. Right. Absolutely. Well, let's talk about this new, uh, broadhead, the dart from, uh, from wasp because I'm trying to think here. What was it last year or the year before was the drone was the new broadhead? Uh, three or four years ago. Three, yeah. Okay, three yeah, or four years ago, one. the drone, and now you, we the the brand new one is the Dart. Why don't you tell us the specs on the Dart and talk to us about that? Yeah. So the, the Dart's a four blade version of the drone per se. Um, okay. What we've seen is a lot of people wanted a four-blade um, in our dart style. The problem was, if we took any more steel out of the, you know, the ferrule of the dart or the or the drone and made a fourth blade in there, that we were going to weaken it. And we don't want to have any products that you know can't hold up to our test and you know look bad in the public when they shoot them and they bend and stuff like that. So we didn't want that. We didn't want to go the easy way out. Um, so we made a four-blade. It, it's the same style is the drone but it's it's four blade it's inch and eighth cut um two and a quarter cutting surface and we have it in 100 grain and 125 um so what we did is you know just try to cater those four blade guys came out with it and it, it flies well it's going to do that it's just an extra blade but to some guys that means the difference in the world of having a fourth blade than over the three um but it's a really tough and really good head Right. So what's the, what was the cutting diameter on it again? Inch and an eighth. Inch and an eighth. Okay. Inch and an eighth cut. All right. And it's a four and blade. So something neat is. Go ahead. It, it, something neat about it, it actually uses the drone blade. So it's the same exact blade that the drone has. Um, just an aluminum, solid aluminum ferrule with a reinforced steel washer behind it. Gotcha. Um, it's very similar to the drone. It's just a, a fourth blade, and it's an aluminum ferrule. Gotcha. So the the broadhead that I used this year was the Boss four blade, and I tell you what, man, I am a huge fan of four blade, smaller kind of broadheads. Right? I am. Um, I just yeah. I just feel that smaller broadheads with additional blades just fly better and take less tuning to get, you know, go from your field points to your, uh, to your, uh, I guess, broadheads. No, that makes a, I mean, there's a lot of truth to that. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. So other than, I guess, other than the dart, uh, when, when's that going to be released? Cause it's not on the website right now. Correct. Um, we're waiting it. To- waiting on a few things to be finalized, but I'm expecting the next two weeks we're going to be shipping them. Um, everything's pretty much ready. We just got to finalize a few things, and other than that, it'll be shipping. Um, I don't know how quick it'll be on our website. I'm hoping we're, we're going through a transition where we're doing a web, new website right now. Um, so I'm expecting the new website's going to come in about the same time. So with the new website, it'll be updated, but if it isn't, it might not be updated as quick. Um, 
but people can certainly call in and order, you know, email us and we'll, we'll be able to ship them as well. It's going to retail a little bit more than a drone. Um, it's going to be at thirty-seven ninety-nine, which is in that boss price range, but you get, that's a three pack with two sets of replacement blades. You're getting eight blades with a pack of broadheads additional. So nice. And with the, uh, the nine fingers discount they can get uh they can get an additional 20 percent off so hey you got a win-win right there but yep for sure no you're right so with with that said um talk to you know you mentioned before we started recording about the the trial pack or the the three the three head pack talk to us about what that's about so what we found is a lot of people like to try broadheads, especially the younger generation um, nowadays. So instead of making someone buy, you know, three or four packs at 30 to $40 a pack, we have this try three pack where you pick three different broadheads um, and we, we hand assemble them, put them in a pack for you, use three different ones for 25 bucks. So you don't have the you know high cost of buying a bunch to try because you really only need to try one or two. Um, you know, see if it flies good, see if you like it, see if you're happy with the cut, you know, and everything else. So what we did is just offer that to consumers to allow them to try our broadheads at a discounted rate, and they don't have to, you know, get $120 in three packs of broadheads. So it allows them to try more at a cheaper rate overall. Gotcha. And we, we've seen a lot of people think, man, that's a no-brainer, because you 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 should be wanting to try your broadheads before you go home with them. You should be wanting to do different tests with them, and you should be gaining that confidence in your head before you hunt with it. And this allows them to, you know, figure out what they like and gain that confidence at a lot cheaper price. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, other than other than that three-pack, anything else uh, <laughs> new, exciting, whether it's uh, the website or new products coming down the pipe? Yeah, we got uh, several new ideas coming down the pipe um, that we're very excited about. One that's going to be released for sure at APA next year um, that we're very excited about. It's going to probably, worst thing, it's going to be the talk of ATA. So we'll see. Uh-oh. Um, we'll check in next year and see. But we think it's going to be huge. So we're excited about that one. Is it? Is it? Can you tell me, is it a broadhead or is it a different product? No, it's, it's a broadhead. We're not going to. Okay, you're not skewing from that. Okay. It is a, Yep. Nope. It, it's a broadhead, and we're we're very excited. We have some prototypes now that we've been testing and doing some stuff with, but um, we're expecting it to be released at ATA next year. Oh, buddy, I'm excited because I I kind of geek out about new and innovative uh, products, especially broadheads, because I feel that if you can go outside of the box on a broadhead, you really got something special. Oh, for sure, for sure. Cool. And we feel, you know when you try new ideas and stuff like this, you have to test it. And that's part of why, you know, we could have probably pushed it out ATA this year, but we weren't comfortable with it yet. So we wanted to just take that extra step and put a whole nother hunting season under it and, and confirm what we already think is going to be the truth. So, yeah, absolutely. Well, Mr. Brooke Martin, I really appreciate you taking time uh, today to come on the podcast, uh, chat with us about how your season went, chat with us about wasp and, uh, Thanks, man. Thank you, Dan. I appreciate it. I enjoyed this. Huge shout out to Mr. Brooke Martin. Thanks for taking time to come on the podcast. Really appreciate it. Again, guys, go check out uh, all the broadheads that Wasp has to offer. Wasparchery.com. And I tell you what, man, that's another week 
another week of podcasts that have been delivered to your ears from my mouth. And uh, as always, thank you very much for taking the time out of your day to download and listen. Huge shout out to all the partners of this podcast. Wasp, Ozonics, Ripcord, Exodus, Bighorn Outfitters, Lone Wolf. And I think that's it. And... You know what? I'm going to keep it short. Make sure you check out all the social media, Instagram, Facebook for the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network and all the podcasts that are on the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network. And if you're going to be in a tree, please wear your damn safety harness. Have a good weekend.